It's time for Horrenda's Agenda, Bill's reflections on sports and life. Welcome to another edition of Horrenda's Agenda from Los Angeles. Tonight's guest needs no introduction. If you're a sports fan in San Francisco, Northern California, and beyond, you have heard this gentleman along with his cohorts for more than a couple of years. It's Whitey Gleason. Whitey, welcome to Horrenda's Agenda. Thanks, Bill. I'm very flattered because rumor has it that Peter Alonzo was going to be on on the day that he set the uh, National League rookie home run record, and you bumped him to have me on. I don't know if that's true, but that's the word on the street, and I'm very flattered. I just want to you know, thank you for that. It means a lot to me. Well, the show's producer, Thomas Parker, is responsible for booking Alonzo. <laughs> so I will definitely, uh, definitely follow up with Tommy on that egregious blunder, as Walt Clyde Frazier would say. <laughs> a, rare, a rare one for TP, by the way. Coach, well, listen, you've got, to be, you've got to be just thrilled about your Mets right there in the thick of the wild card race, and they were just floundering and uh, having a big, uh, you know, big second half. Big win today, and uh, I don't know what you tell me. Are, are, the, are the Mets really going to bring home this wild card thing? Uh, you, you know what? It's unbelievable, the, the transformation with this team. And, and, you know, everyone fights injuries, right? McNeil being the, mo- the most latest injury uh, that the Mets have endured. But, you know, I was happy today particularly. Like, at least we eked out an even road trip. Now we come home for nine games, right? We've got uh, – the Braves and then the Cubs with uh, – let me take a look at who's in the middle of this nine-game homestand. Oh, actually, it's Cleveland first, Atlanta, the Cubs, so it's not Ooh. easy. But we've been a good home team, so I, I, I don't know. I, like, and Listen, I would be totally naive and green, right, to just be booking my playoff tickets right now, but I'm sanguine. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that some skeptics have pointed out that a lot of the recent uh, winning streak – has been at the expense of, of lesser clubs, so this will be a real uh, a real litmus test for the Metropolitans here to see how they do against three solid teams. I think they're going to comport themselves well. I mean, that pitching is amazing, but as you mentioned, the injury to uh, McNeil is um, ah, that's unfortunate. Well, well, I always look at it this way: when we're playing well, it's all about us. You know what I mean? I won't even take that into account. <laughs> yeah. I don't care who we're playing. If we're winning, I'm just going with it. And, and let me ask you: how do you? You're a Padres guy, right? Is that, like, real or, or what? I mean, obviously, that's been a, a franchise that's been, uh, you know, that's that's kind of floundered for a while. Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, being so diplomatic about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my father's pitch, my father's uh, uncle was a major league pitcher in the, in the 30s, and he also was a pitching coach for a couple of teams, including the Padres. Uh, I got to be a Padre fan. This is really dumb, and I'm embarrassed by it. But right before the 1996 season, I was looking at all the teams in baseball and who was going to be a surprise team. And I looked at San Diego, and uh, they had just picked up Ricky Henderson and Wally Joyner and a pitcher named Bob Tewksbury. And I thought, wow, this seems good. They're going to they're going to win the division. So I just I was betting people at work. I offered people, you know, I'll bet you the Padres win the division. Most people are like, I don't care. I, leave me alone. But this one guy said, Yeah, I'll take the Dodgers. I'll take that bet. And they were tied coming down to the uh, the last day of the season, and the the Padres beat the Dodgers one to nothing in ten innings on the last game of the season. And I was just you know it was we were, it was for five dollars or something, but you know how it is when you feel like your reputation's at stake, and it just stuck. It was a great race, 
And uh, soon after that, uh, Lonnie, our oldest daughter, started going to school down there, and we'd go down there and see her and go to see the Padres. So it's just, um, I know that's an odd, uh, ridiculous way to become a fan of a team, but that's how it happened. Interesting. How did the Giants or the A's not capture your allegiance? Or maybe they did as a kid growing up in Vallejo. Yeah, I was an A's fan. Uh, Uncle Bill, as I mentioned, he was a pitching coach to the A's in 72 when they won the World Series. So we rooted for the A's. But the strange thing is my, uh, my father grew up in a real baseball family. My father was uh, just a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. And my mother was an absolute diehard Dodger fan. So they were fans going back before you had uh, divisions. And, you know, in the 60s, those were three pretty good clubs, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, and the Giants. So my parents hated the Giants. So I grew up in a family where we watched every Giants game. If we weren't watching, we listened to the radio. And we cheered every, every time they lost. I was just reared to be an anti-Giants fan uh, by, by two fans of other clubs. That is inter- it's interesting. <laughs> you, you know, I'm almost done with my first book. And I, I talk about, this is, you know, interesting. You know, talk about the Mets and how you started rooting for teams. And it's just amazing how, uh, you know, just I can remember vividly the first game I went to at Shea Stadium, a Twilight doubleheader, the Mets and the Expos. And it's just amazing to hear these stories. I mean, as a kid with your uncle, a major league pitching coach, I mean, how did you sleep at night? I, I went crazy when I was in the same stadium for the first time uh, as Duffy Dyer, the Mets backup catcher. That had to be like <laughs> rarefied air as a kid. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I may have told you the story before. I apologize. I know I haven't told the uh, people who listen to uh, Horrendous Agenda, but Tug McGraw was from Vallejo, my hometown, and Tug, when he was a, a young prospect, I believe my dad used to write to scouts or write about him. I don't know, whatever the reason. Uh, Tug, when he made it with the Mets, he would send my dad stuff all the time. Uh, he was uh, he was very generous to, to our family and sent us a lot of things and you know, baseballs and, and things. I still have a 1969 World Series ticket, but one year, and I can't remember which year, it would have been very early 70s, Tug's birthday, and it was July something, I'd have to look it up, they were playing the Giants that day, so he that day, uh, well, they had a day game. That night, he came to Vallejo and had a birthday party at his house in Vallejo, his dad's house. And we got invited. My dad got to go, and I remember sitting there talking to Ron Swoboda, and uh, Tug says, oh, let's go out here by the pool. And there's Ed Cranepool sitting there. It was the wildest thing. But Tug was just, uh, he was a great guy. And he was always really, really kind to my dad. And like I say, I still have a lot of uh, Mets memorabilia that Tug. In fact, I pulled a um, Sandlot. Tug in 1970 pitched the second game of a doubleheader. And he started, which was wow, rare for him. And wow. he beat the Cubs. So he got the game ball, and he sent it to my dad, and my dad gave it to me, and one day I needed a baseball, so I don't know whatever happened to that sucker, but thanks, Doug. I love it. And, Whitey, you know what? It sounds like a dream. I'm at a party. It's Tug's birthday. Ed Cranepool was at the pool. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely tremendous. So let's fast forward to today. Uh, Giants and A's, what, what do you think about their prospects for the playoffs? Well, I think the Giants are just kind of, uh, you know, everything at this point is gravy. I think it's amazing that they've gotten to this point where you look at the standings and you squint a little bit and you can say, yeah, they're still in it. So the games are meaningful and that Farhan has been able to 
build up the farm system to a degree. Uh, you know, it hasn't been a massive overhaul, massive um, uh, upgrade, but he has brought in some prospects while keeping around enough of the core guys to uh, give the team still that, uh, you know, that credibility. So I think that's, that's great for, for him, but I don't think they're a legitimate uh, contender this year. As for the A's, you know, they, they lost today, but they had a big series against the Astros. The A's are legit, but they're just in such a tough race right now. The American League is stacked, and, you know, they're not only are they way behind the Astros, but they're in a real scramble for the wild card spot with Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Those would be wild card teams right now. So um, the A's are just in a in a tough spot in the American League. But um, I don't know that they have the starting pitching to uh, get it done this year. But I think it's going to be really exciting down the stretch, more so for the A's than the Giants. So uh, transitioning now to basketball, DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, wait, another unfortunate injury. Uh, just curious to get your take on that, the impact on the Lakers, and the impact uh, on his career in the league. Well, you know, one of the first things I, I thought of when I heard about the injury, and, um, you know, it's terrible, obviously, and I don't mean anything against DeMarcus, but I just wonder, um, you know, he started playing the more – up-tempo style when he was in Sacramento under Coach, uh, Coach Carl, and he shot a lot of threes, and he was getting up and down the floor. He's a big fella. And I just wonder if that's really, you know, if he had the body for that. Um, we know what happened to him in uh, New Orleans. and they, I just don't know if he's the type of guy that can run up and down the floor as much as he has uh, been trying to do the last few years. Uh, especially now, you know, it kind of reminds me of Yao Ming, how, once Yao, and he was much bigger than DeMarcus, once his lower body started to give out on him, it was like, that, that was it. You know, there's, there's just no coming back from that, ultimately. So, uh, very unfortunate. I just wonder if uh, DeMarcus was really ever the type of guy who could play out on the wing. And I know he made uh, a lot of threes, and he had a couple years where he shot a real good percentage, but I just don't know if that was really what, uh, what suited him best. Yeah, I, I obviously concur. Injury is just the worst part of the game. And, uh, you know, I really feel for him. And what I find ironic about this is that a couple of years ago, uh, when he was with Sacramento still, there were people around the league that were concerned about his potential. I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Potential propensity for injury. And right. now the injuries seem to be occurring when he's in good physical condition, by all reports. I haven't been in a gym with him in a while. So I find that ironic. And what a story it would be if he's able to come back from this. And to piggyback on your point, perhaps he is able to come back and he is more of a perimeter player. We know he can shoot the threes, despite the acrimonious relationship with Coach Carl. I think that was one of the good things that came out of it for his game. So does he adjust when he comes back? And I know this is very early. I'm just speculating here. But is he able to come back and maybe not attack the rim uh, like he did earlier in his career? And I, I made a, a comparison on SB Nation recently, radio recently about him being Shaq-like in that regard. But I think it'll be very interesting to see how he bounces back from this. Would you uh, agree that the challenge for him, assuming that he's calm anyway, let's say he comes back, but you know he's probably not ever going to quite be the same player, and he's never been a great defensive player. He struggled at times in the pick and roll. I think that if he's able to come back, that may be an even greater challenge for him at the defensive end if he loses 
any more mobility. Again, we'll see, and fingers crossed, and I'd love to see him come back and be even better than he was. But I, I would suspect that that may be a real issue for him going forward. What say you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that's true. Uh, and, and, you know, as UB Brown says, you know, in college you can hide two bad defenders. and the NBA, you can only hide one. And also mm-hmm. offensively, you know, Rick Pitino has said in today's game you need three and a half shooters on the floor to win. So I, I think that'll be very interesting to see how, how that translates his rehab and, and how he comes back uh, defensively. Uh, it, it, there's a lot here that really remains to be seen, but just, uh, just a really un- unfortunate scenario all around. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the video. And it was uh, so so um, heartbreaking to just see him going down the floor and going up for layup, and then whatever popped popped, and it was just uh, it's yeah, just very very sad. All the best to Demarcus going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Whitey, how about just a little bit of rapid fire here? The the Warriors. What's your take on them? Of course, they've got uh, injuries and they've sustained losses free agent wise. Of course, with Kevin Durant. What what do you think about the Warriors? Uh, and they're, I know it's very early, but just their, your outlook for them next season. They're going to miss Clay so much. In some ways, I think they'll miss Clay more than they're going to miss Durant. Uh, Steph Curry's phenomenal. I don't think that he can carry a team. I know he won back-to-back MVPs, but I, I, I just don't know, uh, given the way he plays, if he's the type of guy that can carry a team. And I think D'Angelo Russell is a fine pickup, but I think he's going to struggle without as many touches next year. So I think... They're going to be pretty good, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they come up just a little shy, even of 50 wins next year. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see D'Angelo Russell just as a basketball aficionado, just to see how he fits in with them. Uh, obviously, under Kenny Atkinson, he was great in Brooklyn. Uh, and, and I agree with you from the standpoint of they will really miss Klay Thompson, especially defensively. Uh, but uh, I, I tend to agree that you know that 50 win mark will likely get them into the playoffs, and I'd be surprised, I'd be really surprised if they're not in that range. Speaking of the playoffs, how about the Kings? What's your uh, prognostication on Sacramento? It just seems to me that it's it's very uh, rare for uh, teams to improve in a linear fashion. What I mean is you have a big uh, improvement like they did last year, and it's rare for teams to just continue to improve. Um, and they had such a big leap last year. I think it's possible that they're a better team this year, and maybe they don't win quite as many games. Uh, Luke Walton, as you've pointed out expertly many times, Luke Walton really engineered a defensive turnaround with the Lakers when he first got there, and they're going to really need that. Um, They're also going to need Marvin Bagley and Fox to improve dramatically again. I think they're definitely on the right track, but I just think, uh, you know, fans, that's what fans do. I think to assume that they, they went to 39 wins, so they're good for 45 this year, I think that's going to be tough for them. But I think if they can improve defensively, even if the win total isn't much better, even if it's down a little bit, I think they're, they're still going to be headed in the right direction. Yeah, I, I agree. I think sometimes it's easier to get there than to stay there and propel yourself collectively uh, into that 50-win range. And I think, obviously, the league is going to be very prepared for them and the pace they play at. I was shocked last year at how well they, they played and how many wins they secured. I certainly didn't see it. Uh, so kudos to you know the entire organization for that. Uh, but I agree, the West is a lot tougher. 
And, and I do agree. I mean, I've harped on this forever that, you know, over the last 20 years, we've only had two champions outside of the top 10 in defensive rating. And I don't think they're a championship team. I think that's an unfair expectation. But I do think, I'll echo your sentiment, that to get into the playoffs, uh, defensively, they're going to have to get a lot better. And that kind of remains to be seen. Uh, I think the Kings, I, excuse me, Bill, I was going to say, I think they snuck up on a lot of teams early last year. I think it was clear that, and, you know, you can't take anything away from them. They, uh, they got it done. But I think a lot of teams were really surprised by the pace that the Kings played with. And I was surprised that they played at that pace and didn't turn the ball over more. But to me, Harrison Barnes is such an interesting player. He's definitely a good player, does a lot of good things. But I think it's really interesting that a team like Dallas, a young team on the rise, that they decided mm, he's not worth what we have to pay him. I think he's a nice fit for the Kings. I don't know that he's the type of guy that is going to really get them four or five more wins this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I wasn't, you know, ecstatic when they, you know, when they acquired him, but I thought, okay, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's legit, but I, I tend to agree that I'm not sure if he's a difference maker, uh, as you uh, so articulately, articulately put it. Uh, so, and I think the adjustment with Luke Walton is going to be quite interesting, uh, just from the standpoint that it seemed like Vlade – Luke was available, so he had to have him. And I'm not sure that I would have pulled the trigger on Jaeger uh, at this particular uh, point in time in the franchise's overall development. So, uh, hey, listen, it'll. I keep saying this too that you know until you get into the gym and see what you really have, uh, we could look at depth charts and what have you. But until you get in there and see what kind of accountability and chemistry you have, uh, that's going to be you know, the challenge for the other 29 teams as well to see what you got. What do you think about Minnesota? This is really a year when they're going to have to put up or shut up, right? Uh, you know why, why do you think so? Well, because I think they've been seen as a team that's young and up and coming for the last uh, three, four years, and they finally got into the playoffs a couple of years. But now they seem like they, last year they, they kind of slid backwards a little bit. Uh, look at Wiggins. How good is Wiggins? Is he really an elite player, or is he um, headed in the wrong direction? Carl Anthony Towns looked like he was all-world. I, I just think it's going to be really interesting to see if they make any noise at all in the West. And if they don't, then they've got some, some tough decisions to make after this year. But obviously, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love your passion because, you know, if you're in Minnesota, you've got, you've got to be thinking, hey, maybe we could be the Sacramento – of this upcoming season, right? Like maybe we could turn it around uh, yeah. on, with Coach Saunders getting the job on a full-time basis and what have you. So, yeah, it'll be – and you're right. You know, oodles of talent, but are they for real, uh, you know, from that standpoint? Can they, can they, you know, ultimately get the job done around Carl Anthony Towns as well as uh, as well as well uh, you know, Wiggins, as, as you alluded to. So that, that's what ma- makes the league so fascinating and so interesting in the West so tough is that, uh, you know, maybe not many people have Minnesota in the playoffs in August, but they've got a lot of talent. Yeah, well, obviously somebody made a miscalculation there. Tibbs thought that Jimmy Butler was going to put him over the top, and oh, my goodness, um, it's, that went wrong so many different ways. So where are they now? they got to reevaluate and figure out what they do have. I think that's going to be really fascinating to see. Um, not one of the teams that a lot of fans are excited about seeing this year, but I think it's going to be fascinating to see what decisions uh, 
they decide to make to uh, see if they can uh, squeeze uh, uh, everything they can out of this young, talented crew. Whitey, if I woke you up at 3 in the morning and I said, give me the records this season for the Raiders and the Niners, what would you tell me? I tell you that leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> Stop calling me at three in the morning. Uh, the Raiders will be seven and nine. The Forty Niners will be uh, nine and seven. Oh, there you go. Okay, interesting. Listen, you've been around the media business for a long time. Is there anyone that you'd like to interview that you haven't had the opportunity uh, to chat with? Let's see. Oh, there'd be so many. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. Um, I think I'd really like to talk to uh, a lot of the the younger players in baseball now, like we mentioned, Alonzo, to bring it back to where we started in Bellinger. And I haven't had a chance to talk to a lot of the young players. And uh, when I started, I got to talk to players like um, Jose Canseco, and Mark McGuire, I got to spend a lot of time with, you know, Will Clark in the clubhouse with those Giants and those A's. Uh, and I, I would like to talk to some of the younger sluggers from today uh, that I haven't had a chance to talk to yet and just see how it compares. Because the game, in terms of the home runs, is so different now. And, you know, Alonzo's hit 40 home runs this year as a rookie. It's just so different. I would love the chance to... Just talk to some of these guys about how they go about their craft and, and compare it to what uh, some of the young sluggers of the of the 80s used to say and how they went about it. Golf, foursome, living or dead? Who would you have in your foursome? Uh, well, you, of course. <laughs> and, my, and my three would. <laughs> so there's one. Um, ben Hogan, I would love to just uh, – he's – Probably, you know, from what I read, not the friendliest guy to hang around with on the course, but such a great ball striker. I'd love to, I'd love the chance to see that in person. Uh, I'd love to play with Ty Cobb because apparently Ty Cobb, as great as he was in baseball, could not play golf and he used to drive him crazy. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Einstein. So Bill Horenda, Ben Hogan, Ty Cobb, and Einstein. There you go. Not everything that counts can be counted. <laughs> As my buddy Tim Capstro, the Brooklyn Nets radio analyst, frequently, well, I shouldn't say frequently, when it's appropriate, uh, he invokes that great Einstein quote. Uh, how about advice for aspiring broadcasters? What would you tell people who are looking to get into the business? Well, I think it's so different now than it was when I was fortunate enough to get started. You just have to diversify so much, and you have to be like like you are. You have to be... You know, uh, it's not, are you radio? Are you TV? You have to be all that. And, um, you know, obviously with social media, you have to be able to write. That's probably, I think that's the most overlooked skill. Um, um, when I was uh, serving an internship years ago, I had a news director at a station. He told me, when you're on the air, when you're, whether you're on TV or radio, um, it's like you're writing, but you're just writing your first draft and people are hearing it. So the better you are at writing and organizing your thoughts and putting them together, the better broadcaster you're going to be. So I still think that gets uh, overlooked sometimes because we're so focused on the visual, but that would be my advice is uh, don't underestimate what the ability to uh, use the English language to your advantage can, can do for you as a broadcaster. That is so, that's such a great point because I found that you're much better prepared 
to talk on a particular topic if you've already written about it. And that doesn't take away mm -hmm. from the spontaneity of the conversation or, of course, the Oscar Wilde, you know, be yourself, everybody else is taken. Uh, but th that's terrific advice because I think in your mind, you've got your thoughts organized and you're just better able to navigate the conversation. That's, that's, definitely, uh, that's definitely terrific advice. I think one reason it gets overlooked is because the people that are on radio and on TV who do it so well, you don't even realize when it's really done well, it's not a matter of them using necessarily the biggest words. Uh, it's just a matter of them effortlessly getting their point across. So you're just kind of, oh, yeah, and you don't even realize, wow, that was a really well-constructed thought and or phrase. So I think that's one reason why it slips under the radar a little bit. Excellent. And Whitey, listen, we know you're ubiquitous on the scene and you'll be back in, just like you said, in probably uh, a, a, a multitude of ways. And I want to personally thank you for jumping on uh, and breaking this down because I know, because I'm one of them, that uh, certainly people will be delighted to hear you on this podcast. And, and I know that they will expect uh, much, much more and that you'll be able to deliver that very soon. So uh, thanks so much for joining Horrendous Agenda. We all really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. I had a blast, and um, I just sit in the backyard hitting golf balls with Moby, so I was glad to have somebody to talk to. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely right. We'll talk soon. Listen, we'll talk around playoff time when the Mets are involved. <laughs> all right. Even if we don't get Alonzo, we'll definitely get uh, the, the two of us back together and we'll be, uh, we'll be able to break it down for sure. Thanks again, Whitey. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Horrenda.